Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Welcome to Season 3. I'm Kat Wedgwood, and we're kicking off this brand new season by talking about one of our favorite subjects, the future of learning. We're always interested in thought leadership around what's next in education. So in this episode, you'll hear several Getting Smart team members reflecting on exciting things they've seen happening recently in learning, making predictions on the future of learning based on these observations, and sharing how we're all working to help support these positive changes to our country's education system. From past episodes, you'll probably recognize our CEO, Tom Vanderark's voice, as well as our Director of Strategic Design, Mary Ryersey, Director of Advocacy, Emily Liebtag, and COO, Caroline Vanderark. In this episode, you'll also get to hear from Janice Walton, who's our new project manager and joined the team just a few months ago. From social-emotional learning to digital citizenship, our team has a lot to say about where education is now and where it's headed. So let's listen in as Tom and Mary get the conversation rolling with what Tom is most excited about in the world of learning today. The m- most exciting thing happening is the global shift to personalized learning. You know, we've been talking about this for 20 years and and it it feels like we're finally beginning to understand um, what blended and personalized learning experiences and environments look like, and we're beginning to see those at scale in um, in in thousands of schools uh, all around the world, and that is exciting to see more students engaged, more students learning at their own level and um, beginning to move at their own uh, at their own pace. So school being more interesting, engaging, and inspiring. That is happening. Um, the, the flip side is that it's the stuff is really complicated because we're we're still a couple years out in front of the tool set. Right? Right. The learning management yeah. systems are still not uh, adequate for this task. So the the schools that are innovating are working really hard because they're inventing their own tools and protocols and practices. The one thing that's helping is that many of these schools are working together in networks. Mm-hmm. And we, we just finished a book uh, called Network Effect, which is about how um, networks of schools and platforms are helping uh, to support schools in their, in their effort to develop more personalized learning. And these networks are, they're not just charter networks, they're also uh, voluntary networks and they're uh, professional learning communities. So they range from very informal professional collaborations all the way to, you know, to very formalized uh, agreements between schools. But that we think is sort of a meta trend globally of personalized learning and connections between schools to make it more doable. Right. And it's interesting that that is a, part of the vehicle and that, well, we've said before, go farther with friends and yeah. we wrote smart cities and just the importance of being part of a network and that if we're really going to personalize learning and make it impactful and engaging and all you said for kids, for young people, it does require a network. It, well, it's interesting. So an ecosystem sort of around a set of networks, so the ecosystem uh, we found in smart cities is super important that you need a, you need a talent pipeline to support networks. You need um, tools, uh, ideally um, an environment that's incubating Mm -hmm. uh, new tools and new support systems. And then finally, you need um, 
incubation and uh, intermediation. You need help doing uh, the good work. And rich learning ecosystems have all of those components, as well as some philanthropic partners right. Right, to help make strategic investments. So there's a lot to be excited about, and including what's next. What do you see on the horizon? The, the world is shifting to a show what you know, to a competency-based um, way of signaling the, the learning that you've done. You know, for since the, the Committee of Ten, uh, 125 years ago, we've relied on courses and credits and something called grades uh, to, to signal our learning accomplishments. And we all know that that is a, a very weak signal. It, it's clear that it, it doesn't have much to do with your life or career success. Um, but learning is more important than ever. So we need better ways to learn and we need better ways to communicate our learning. And globally, we'll, we're seeing this shift to, uh, to show what you know, where demonstrated mastery and real artifacts in a portfolio and real references, people that can vouch for the good work that you've done is, is becoming more important than a pedigree in many, many situations. Uh, in just in the last couple weeks, we have, we've written about things like a mastery transcript where hundreds of the leading high schools in America have banded together uh, to say we're going to uh, graduate students based on demonstrated mastery, not on courses and grades. And uh, we're finding that selective colleges are excited about right. that movement. We think that's a tremendous signal um, of this shift to competency. Another is micro-credentials, that this, these, this shift to competencies is not just for students. It's also a new way to think about professional learning that teachers can pick a topic that they want to uh, learn about. They can demonstrate mastery and, and get a, a badge for that, earn several of them. And increasingly, those are adding up to uh, master's degrees. And so a new way to organize uh, professional learning and a new way to signal your accomplishment as a professional. Awesome. And that's a, and seems like a more natural, organic way to be able to apply the learning and um, and plan for the future. So how talk about how you see the work that we do at Getting Smart and how we can support organizations. And so Getting Smart is, uh, is a design firm focused on innovations and learning. We're, we're all about helping the world figure out what's next in learning and then helping to pave that path through advocacy work, through advisory work uh, like you do, um, and through design work. And so one of the most exciting ways that we've been doing that in the last few years is is helping to design uh, new schools and new learning environments and imagine with talented educators uh, a new set of possibilities for how to organize schools and how to manage uh, a, a student matriculation through a, a competency-based sequence. So we're excited about uh, design work. We're excited about uh, advising people on how to uh, scale their impact. And we have the chance to work with, with dozens of, of organizations that have done really cool things on a local basis, but now want to uh, bring that to scale. So you and I get to work with, with organizations um, 
contemplating um, whether it's a for-profit model or a non-profit model or a mixture of those two and really taking advantage of uh, new platform strategies and new business models uh, to help the world learn more faster. Right, and recognize that it often takes multiple partnerships to make that happen. And um, talk a little bit about accountability and measurement and how you see our role. Well, we're, we're excited about um, the move to social-emotional learning, for example, and this is an area where we're just, as the sector, sort of out and uh, over our skis. You know, we're, we're excited about an area, but we don't even have a common lexicon, much less a common way to measure. And, and so this is an area where we need to rapidly develop a set of measures. And I think even more important than, you know, stuffing these into school accountability systems, it's, it's more to help young people uh, note their growth and their progress and be able to communicate that to others. And everyone that's doing innovative work uh, is often thinking out beyond traditional measures. And so we, we very frequently have the opportunity to help people uh, build new measures, uh, set new goals and build new measures that um, chart and communicate their progress to stakeholders. What is happening in learning today that you're excited about? There are a lot of things I'm excited about. I think probably best summed up with the increased focus on broader aims for students, which I think inherently means that it's uh, we're taking a more student-centered approach, more personalized approach. We can't uh, be limited by, for so many years, we've measured student success by a test score or a transcript. And as you and I both know, there's a whole rich set of learning experiences and real-world experiences. And applied learning and contextual knowledge and student ownership that goes into that. So I think the fact that as a learning system, I think we're paying more attention to broader aims and being intentional about supporting students as they achieve those. And I think at the same time, the role of the teacher is elevated in a lot of ways to be a much more professional role, to craft meaningful learning experiences that actually help students to integrate knowledge, tap into their own agency meet standards in an integrated and variety of ways it actually takes a more sophisticated um, approach from a teacher to be able to understand where to use technology where to use a smart nudge where to um, inspire where to motivate where to redirect and so i think that we see that in approaches and practice related to formative assessment where how do students and teachers have meaningful interactions that help students to achieve these broader aims and help teachers to really understand where students are today, how to propel them forward to tomorrow in a way that really equips them for a rich life of experiences. What do you think is next? What's just over the horizon in learning? I think what's gonna be next is a, a more sophisticated approach to integrating what we expect of students in terms of core academic knowledge with a wise approach from a social emotional learning standpoint. And I really respect what the Aspen Institute is doing with even the name of the commission with the social, emotional, and academic development and how those all go hand in hand and how there's research to support it. And I think there are going to be a lot of um, interesting approaches as we try to get more sophisticated about measuring SEL. And I think as we can better measure that, we can also see the impact on when students are making progress in SEL, how is that impacting 
um, the other aims they're trying to reach. So I, I think there's sort of a caution with that too, where it'd be really easy to beat it to death or get too much of an accountability focus on an area where we're actually trying to teach some adaptability. It's exciting to see all the interest in social emotional learning and great teachers have always paid attention mm -hmm. to this, but it's nice to see systems creating a room, making this a, a priority. It's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm really encouraging schools to work in networks so that they, they have a common language and a, a common strategy to, to build uh, SEL skills and to, and to measure it. Um, have you seen good examples of schools working together um, on SEL, or what, what do you think we'll see more of in the future? Yeah, I think that's a natural place for schools to connect, and I think there are some, you know, some real, some formal collaborative networks. There are also, I think, informally when teachers get together, so often it's what are you doing to help your students learn, and how do you motivate them? So, I think just that common language. I think when people are coming together on formative assessment, they're coming around together on SEL. When we talk about student-centered or teacher-powered, so often that's the focus, and. I even think of the example of like a nuance in language. We There's a lot of emphasis on growth mindset and how do we help students see that their performance isn't finite, but actually that they've got an opportunity to grow. And sometimes with good intentions, teachers can give praise, not realizing that that actually reinforces more of a fixed mindset approach as opposed to encouragement, where they're actually trying to illuminate the path forward and how do you take that and take it to the next level. And I think that's one of the roles of networks. You ask about teacher networks, and I think sometimes just being part of a network as professionals, we encourage each other to grow. So, Mary, you lead our advisory practice. In, in what sort of ways are you helping folks uh, with the things that we've talked about, adopting broader aims and, and incorporating uh, more thoughtfully social and emotional learning? Right, so we really, the the way that we support organizations in that is as individualized as the organizations and the goals themselves. So I think part of it is to really understand what the goal is. Is it to scale um, an effective approach to SEL? Is it to equip people to um, better practice formative assessment? Is it to take a strategy and make it actionable or develop a district-wide strategic plan? So I think that in the context, we'd take a design thinking approach to any of those and frame the concept and create a strategy and iterate around what's working and what's not. And I think sometimes we can use the word scale, like just get bigger and bigger. And I think what we're talking about here is this, this more sophisticated scale where it's an iterative scale, where it's not just like, let's replicate something a thousand times, but let's take a core concept, make sure it fits from a logic model at the individual level, and then be able to grow it from there. And we, we've had the good fortune to work with many organizations implementing social-emotional learning or helping school districts implement social-emotional learning, and we've both been able to help them build a, a sustainable, scalable business model, but also provide some uh, advocacy for those organizations, help put them on the map. Right, right. And that's a big, that can be paved the way for some of that networking and continued growth is, I think... Sometimes educators feel like I just am going to do my work and it's good for kids and I shouldn't tell anyone about it. Well, that the humility is great. And at the same time, sometimes those ideas really need to be out there so that it can benefit more young people.
Next up, we'll hear from Emily Liebtag, who I had the privilege of interviewing. Emily has been on several school visits lately, so she has some great insights into what's happening in the classroom today and what she sees coming in the future. A lot of different things, but most recently I've seen a lot more what I would call wayfinding and a lot less prescription. So I think teachers and students are just tired of trying to fit someone else's agenda into their, you know, 360 minutes of the school day, um, which we've been doing for a long time. You know, we've been telling people what to do, how it should look, how should learning should look, and, and trying to tell them that that's going to guarantee certain levels of achievement for their students. But, you know, from the past two decades, we've learned that's not always the case. So now I'm just really seeing students and teachers kind of deciding on what outcomes they want to see and then crafting really meaningful learning experiences to get there. And and I mean both teachers and uh, students doing that, just deciding what great learning looks like and, and where they want to be as a result of those experiences and then going for it. So I guess if you want to capture that in a tweet, it might be this, um, a focus on high quality learning experiences, knowing those experiences will lead to empowered students and great outcomes. I think that's what I'm seeing more of and less, less prescriptive, <laughs> prescriptive teaching and all driven by someone else's agenda. Cool. So what do you think's next in learning then? I guess it's in the same vein, just more informal learning happening and students kind of crafting their own paths. I don't mean totally crafting it on their own or a lack of structure, but I just think educators and schools that I'm seeing and visiting are being more of guides and and students, yes, they need that guidance, but I also think more and more they're going to be helping decide what it is they want to learn, who they want to be, and then uh, demonstrating their learning in formal and in in non-formal settings. Um, Less of this brick and mortar school building, teacher tells me, you know, what to do, and more of them wayfinding for themselves with guidance of teacher on the side. Um, I also Mm -hmm. think, and this is a little bit different, but I also think What's coming next is, you know, there'll be continued charter versus traditional public school divides and contention. But I also think we're going to see an ever-growing kind of chasm between these next-gen schools, the ones that are allowing students and teachers to do more wayfinding, compared to the schools that are not evolving as much. Um, And what I mean by not evolving as much is those that just aren't keeping up enough so that students are getting opportunities to reach their fullest potential. Um, Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be wall-to-wall technology or kids glued to computers, but just places where kids are getting really great high-quality learning experiences and learning how to thrive both now, but then also learning skills and, and um, mastering competencies that are going to help them in their future. So I think that's what's coming next, a demand for this school evolution and uh, – that divide between those that are evolving and those that aren't is going to get bigger and bigger. And yeah, I also think students will probably be the biggest advocates for that change. I think some of them are getting a little tired of the same old, same old, and they're going to start to speak up and, and uh, request that schools kind of meet them where they are and where they need to be. Well, right on. So how are you playing a role in all of this through getting smart? 
well, I guess just by telling the stories about the people that are doing it well, the people that we all can learn from. There's a lot out there about what's not working and what hasn't been working for students and families. And so I love <laughs> the biggest part of my job is just to tell those stories about where things are working and lifting up those examples so that we all can learn from them. And still we're going to have failures and we're going to um, go through our own trials and tribulations in getting to develop those types of schools, but certainly try and learn from those who are already uh, trying to pave that path for us. So yeah, that's how I'm playing a role is just telling those stories and unpacking how we can see more high quality learning experiences in schools. Cool. Right on. Anything else that you want to share? I know you've, you've gone on some school visits lately. So is there anything really cool that you saw while you were out there? I think the thing that's just been really rejuvenating is seeing educators, some of them being my friends, where maybe even a year ago, they were just not feeling it. They were just not into their jobs anymore. They were feeling like there was too much pressure, bureaucracy, and now just going back to some of those classrooms and some of those schools and seeing teachers really recharged, not just for their students, but also personally, which then in turn benefits your students, right? And their curiosities mm -hmm. and their drive to make their classrooms even better places for students is just skyrocketing, which I think makes the world of difference. So um, I know that's not the case for all teachers out there, but... <laughs> for those that are just feeling recharged, you know, spread that, spread that wealth and spread the word and open up um, your classroom door. I don't know what it is to just help encourage others to reignite and, and find their passion um, in their craft. Next up, Caroline shares with Janice what she sees going on in today's learning that she's excited about, including the different aspects of technology in schools and focusing on the learning needs of both students and teachers. One thing that really strikes me is that, you know, there was a relatively short window of time um, from which we went from kind of no technology in classrooms to lots of technology in classrooms. And this, the pendulum kind of swung really far to, to the tech heavy side. We were kind of putting technology before we thought about the learning outcomes. And what I've started to see is, is trying to find that, that balance of, of how technology is used and really understanding that, um, you know, starting with the student outcomes and what do we want students to be able to do? And is there a way that they can have access to that learning quicker by using technology? Um, but really, truly getting to the understanding that technology isn't going to solve any challenges um, if it is not first um, addressed with student outcomes in mind. So we've seen a lot of really thoughtful teachers and schools um, trying to strike that balance and just get really clear on, on student outcomes. Um, we're at this really interesting time when, you know, students can learn anything anywhere. And so what we really need to be focusing on is helping students learn how to acquire knowledge um, so I'm excited by classrooms we've seen lately um, that, that have really found that balance. And then in turn, are, are teaching students how to use technology well and figure out where it can enhance their lives, but also just teaching them to be really great digital citizens and figure out what their online life looks like. Um, I'm encouraged by that, too. 
Those are, you made two really amazing points. The first was that um, tech won't solve challenges without the student outcomes. And I think that's so important mm-hmm. of looking at what the students are desired to learn first and then thinking about how you build the tech around that to support it. That's a really great point. Um, and the second was just that this notion that uh, how are these students becoming responsible digital citizens, because we're now existing in this time where this is the digital world is all that students actually know. So it's so interesting of how do you grow up in that area, in that, in that, you know, arena Mm -hmm. and become effective when you don't know going to the encyclopedia. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or anything else. Right. And how do you, and it's very interesting. And how are we teaching them to understand what are trustworthy sources, right? I mean, I think we've seen this entire discussion um, about fake news and how do we teach them to understand what a great online source is and how do I do effective research to understand that just Googling it might not be the way to find the truth. It might be the way to find the highest hits. Um, so that's it's there are all these interesting components that I'm starting to see schools, um, really great schools, I think, are doing a good job of understanding that technology is going to be a part of students' life, but helping them to understand that it is an enhancement to their learning, right? It's not the only way to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then what do you think is next in learning? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not something um, that hasn't been happening, but I think there's there's going to continue to be more of a focus on the whole child and understanding um, where and how we can connect all of the learning that takes place for a student, understanding that it doesn't just happen in the walls of a classroom, that it's happening in out-of-school activities, it's happening in weekend activities and summer projects and um, tutoring, right? Like figuring out how do we connect all those data points so that a teacher and a parent, um, that a coach has Uh, this real full view of a child and has a full understanding of their strengths and their weaknesses. And I think when we are able to connect all of these data points and do it in a way that's truly sort of, you know, um, focused on the student's learning and focused on their growth, I think we're going to continue to see more individual student progression. So, you know, it really comes to like that individualized student and, you know, some call it student-centered, um, but really understanding what every student needs um, and, and getting the supports around students um, to match that. I agree. I mean, I think that's a really great point about teaching to the whole child. And I, and I also just wonder, you know, the schools and teachers who are doing it really well, um, how can they share their learning? Because it does require a different, a little bit of a different type of yeah. teaching too. And there's a lot of knowledge, I think, that teachers will have to relearn in order to address this because they now become kind of a networker too, of, of pulling together all of the, um, all of the other things that students are engaged with outside of their classroom and getting their pulse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why at Getting Smart, we've been so focused on not just, um, on learning, but teaching too, and understanding that so much of teaching is about learning. And so thinking about how do we shift professional learning to sort of meet the demands of our educators today too, because it shouldn't just be about whole child, it should be about whole teacher too. And like as a teacher, like what's the network that I need around me? And maybe that's not in my building. Maybe that means that I need to have, you know, national contacts and I need to have um, a professional learning network, right? That I know I can reach out to. So we're definitely advocates for um, the whole teacher too, and understanding that um, that SEL I think is just as important for our educators and our admins 
um, that are spending time with our students today. Absolutely. That's a perfect segue into my next question of how are you playing a role in all of this at getting smart? Yeah. So, you know, I have always been such a proponent of allowing schools and districts and teachers to tell their story. Um, I, you know, really enjoy storytelling and giving people the tools to talk about their story, whether that's through social media or working with them on presentations and speaking skills um, interviewing them for a case study. I spent a lot of time in the past year um, developing case studies with schools and with teachers. Um, so I think just arming people to be able to tell their own story um, and then to be able to share that. And then for us, we really enjoy getting to amplify it. It's um, part of the mission of gettingsmart.com is to amplify teaching and, and learning innovations. Um, so really just uh, getting to advocate for and to um, accelerate these case studies and the voices of the people that really are in the trenches that are doing the work day in and day out. We are, we're really careful, I think, at getting smart to, um, to only advise and to advocate for what we feel like we have firsthand knowledge about, for you know, being able to say like we were in a classroom last week or we've heard a teacher say this. I think that's really important in this space for credibility sake too, is to make sure that, um, that you continue to see the practice, that you continue to, to ask what teachers and students need. So um, that's definitely something that I've been focused on is, is that storytelling component and um, helping people to, to share their voice and then for us to be able to sort of amplify that voice. It's awesome. And it's exciting. Right? It is. It's such an exciting <laughs> time. Exciting. I think this is um, working in education is, um, it's challenging, but it is so rewarding because um, you just, you understand uh, what's at stake and um, it's hard to, to not want to be involved and it uh, makes it exciting to, to come to work every day because it's such an extension of, of who I am. As the newest member of the team, we were all excited to hear more from Janice on what she has seen recently in education and what her hopes are for the future of learning. The first thing I've noticed is that I really like to watch what's going on in global education. And I've started to notice that there is a push to make it more accessible for students to have authentic connections with their peers from around the world. And really, it's not only about the connection, it's about ensuring students have a sense of understanding for one another. And I think that while global ed has been a concept that's been pushed for the past several years, I'm noticing that there's an uptick in trying to get students connected to other places aside from just traveling. So there's all these virtual connections which are becoming easier and more streamlined thanks to technology, um, which includes classroom video connections, collaborations on projects, chatting with different students from around the world, and now there's this element of virtual connections in terms of virtual reality, which is really cool because technology is making it so we can show students the world through headsets and not only show them just another place, another country, but have them interact in another student's story. So they're able to investigate what's happening in Syria, for example, or even the Armenian genocide and hear what it was like for people who are living in those contexts um, and really get a deeper sense of understanding. And, you know, there's good stories and there's bad stories. And, and a lot of the content that's coming out for virtual reality isn't just always showing the good that's happening in the world. It's showing the bad, too. 
And so, which is ever so important today to gain, like you just said, gain perspective, empathy, and understanding about what the real challenges are that our students are going to face, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and it's even, it's coming to this place where, you know, you can be in this classroom in rural, urban, suburban America, anywhere, and you can have this experience of having empathy for someone who is in another country, far away and extended from where you are. And it's really amazing um, because while travel is always going to be important, and I think you can nothing will substitute you actually going to a place and investigating it for yourself and being hands-on, the technology is making it so you can have that experience no matter your background, no matter where you come from. You don't have to get on a plane. You can do it right from your classroom. And that, to me, is just truly amazing. And, huge, um, huge gains in, in access. So mm-hmm. you alluded to this a little bit, virtual virtual reality may be something that it already is, but even more so in the upcoming years, what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my next question for you. What do you think is, is next in learning? So I think, you know, what's next in learning is, you know, it's so hard to say because it's so unknown. Like every day we're coming up with virtual reality, artificial intelligence, you know, what is going to be this next thing? Technology is clearly going to play this huge role. And I don't think that that's going to stop anytime soon. My real hope, I will say, not so much what I think is going to be the future, but I say, I will say, I'll frame it as what my hope for what's next is, is that how are we going to make sure all students, regardless of their zip code, have access not only to this new technology that's coming out, but the infrastructure that powers that technology. And so in other words, what I'm thinking of is that the access to the high-speed internet and Wi-Fi, there's so many schools in our country who can't even have this conversation of the future of learning because their infrastructure is old and they don't have Wi-Fi. And, or they don't have access, or their access is uh, similar to dial-up that we had so many years ago. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. how are we going to make sure all students can engage in the future of learning? And I really hope that that's what's next, because otherwise there's going to be a lot of kids who are left out um, and who are not able to participate in some of this great technology and things that we're talking about. And that is a concern to me. I think the same probably goes for maybe how we think about educators, right? So educators in those buildings and in those places, the frustration of not being able to give a student that next-gen learning experience because of the lack of tech, even if they're doing more place-based or informal experiences that don't rely heavily on the tech, they're still, it's a a barrier. So yeah, I totally agree with that. How are you playing a role in addressing what you just talked about at Getting Smart? Yeah, so one of the things that is really exciting is that I get to help organizations actually talk about this and get their name in these conversations. So we help advocate for great teaching and learning that's going around the country and that um, organizations are participating in. So it's exciting to be able to think about thought leadership campaigns and again, having organizations um, have a voice in these important conversations, but also just being able to help them design projects and programs that will seek to address some of these issues that I've been discussing or some of the improvements in learning that we're seeing. So it's exciting to be able to um, think think with organizations and help them lead programs and projects that will uh, better the future of learning, I think. 
And you, your experience has been in over the past several years, over the past decade, I'd say, has been doing just that programmatic change, innovative um, strategy and design. So you're really suited and in a good position to do that. Yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's exciting to have been able to work with educators um, and districts on these sorts of issues uh, over the course of my career. So I'm excited to be a part of the Getting Smart team and doing it um, on, a, on a different level, but on the same kind of level as I had for the majority of my career. So it's fun times. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Janice. Thanks, Emily. Thanks so much to Tom, Mary, Emily, Caroline, and Janice for sharing their thoughts and predictions for this podcast. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, subscribe and rate us as well. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat signing off.